Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak with Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are continuing our 2021 season outlooks with the Los Angeles Sparks. Eric, are you excited for some Sparks talk today? No, not really, to be honest. <laughs> um, nothing personal against the Sparks. I just don't really think this is a very interesting scenario. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will disagree, but um, there's some stuff to talk about, so sure, why not? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's interesting in the, in the sense that there are some players we haven't seen in a while, uh, so, so that'll definitely be That's interesting. True, yeah. But let's just get into it. Uh, the 2020 Los Angeles Sparks, they were the third best team in the league, at least according to their win-loss record. They went 15-7. and seven. That was good for the third seed. They were also third in net rating. They were positive 5.5, sixth in offense, 104.3. They had the third-ranked defense for the second year in a row at 98.3. They got the first round by as the three seed before losing to the Connecticut Sun in a little bit of a blowout in the second round. Outside of that, you know, they, they did win nine straight in the middle of the season, um, ended up losing their last two games, uh, and then, of course, couldn't really bounce back for the playoffs. Yeah, that I, I think the one thing that's kind of burned in people's memories about the Sparks, and for Derek Fisher's Sparks in particular, is just bad playoff exits to the Connecticut Sun um, after pretty successful regular back-to-back regular seasons. Yeah, for sure. And I think leading that sort of uh, disappointment, at least in terms of the consecutive seasons, a couple disappointing outings by Chelsea Gray. You know, Candace Parker, I think, didn't have a great playoff series in 2019, but definitely showed up for the the single elimination game in 2020. Uh, that 2020 uh, single elimination game, of course, the Sparks were without Neko Gumake, which is, you know, definitely going to hurt anyone's chances when you're, you know, missing a, a perennial all WNBA caliber player. So what what about the 2020 Sparks really stands out to you? Because as I recall, like, I think we both liked the team as, as they were playing, but looking back on it, I kind of wonder, like, were the Sparks really a championship caliber team last season or were, were they just like a, an upper tier team? You know, obviously we, we kind of figured Seattle was going to inevitably win it all, but, you know, the Sparks were kind of hanging in there for most of the season, but four of their seven losses came against the two teams that finished ahead of them in the standings and the Aces and the uh, – storm and then of course once again they came out flat against the sun in the playoffs so like what how do you evaluate the 2020 LA Sparks succinctly yeah I think if given the opportunity fully healthy with Neko Gumake I think they could have probably given Vegas a a pretty decent run they probably weren't as good as Vegas probably not as well coached as Vegas Uh, I don't think they would have really had any shot against Seattle although I do think their regular season games against the storm were a little bit closer against Seattle they were uh, Vegas, but still just from like a, a talent standpoint, I think they were just, you know, they were a little bit closer to where Vegas was than where Seattle was. But I think the third best team is a, is about right and probably just a little bit of a step down from Seattle, but maybe a, uh, closer to Vegas there. And in terms of what jumped out, you know, offensively, they were not great despite having players regarded as really good offensive players, right? Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, Neko Gumake, uh, Raquana Williams. And despite playing in some offense-heavy lineups in second units, you know, they would uh, lean more towards going with Simone Augustus at the four rather than the three, which of course is designed to open things up offensively. Christina Nigue was kind of like their primary backup center. She's definitely more of an offensive-focused player than a defensive-focused one. But they just kind of relied on good defense and getting out in transition. They were the number one 
team in terms of transition frequency. They tied for fourth in efficiency. So we'll see how that kind of takes a hit this season. We'll get to that later. And they were second in effective field goal percentage. And as we kind of talked about last week with Chicago or earlier this week, I guess it'll be, that didn't necessarily correlate with being, you know, one of the premier offensive teams because just like Chicago, they were bottom four in free throw attempt rate. But unlike Chicago, they were a terrible free throw shooting team. They were 10th in free throw shooting percentage. A lot of that was uh, Chicago's new player, Candace Parker, shooting just 73% of the line, and she got there more than any other player on the team. They were, you know, just kind of average and turning the ball over, but still that's not amazing to be average. And then they were the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. So between, you know, being kind of an average team turning the ball over and not really getting to the free throw line and uh, never hitting the offensive glass, you know, you're just kind of not making up on the margins for letting that second rated effective field goal percentage kind of carry you uh, otherwise, I guess. So that offensive rebounding rate was kind of surprising to me because they do have Neko Gumake, who is one of the best offensive rebounders in WNBA history, but she had kind of a season that it was inconsistent and it wasn't really the Neko Gumake that we're used to seeing. Yeah. And it was really kind of hard to pinpoint like what was going on with Neko Gumake. I know she, I think she had spoken publicly about just kind of how difficult life in the bubble was, you know, obviously it's a a stressful situation. You're away from, from your family. You're kind of uh, isolated in this environment with just kind of other WNBA players. And yeah, she definitely saw a dip in a lot of areas. Uh, offensive rebounding was one of them. You know, she's usually around like the seven to 9% offensive rebounding range. Posted a, a really outstanding 9.3% offensive rebounding rate in 2019. But that, you know, almost cut in half in 2020, all the way down to 5.5%. That's definitely one of the lower marks in her career. So you know, I don't know if it was just kind of a down season, things were a little bit weird, if there were some, you know, interpersonal things with, um, you know, obviously a lot of the players left over the offseason, but to kind of carry along with their offense, unless you wanted to jump in, they were right outside the top four in terms of the proportion of their shots coming from within five feet. So they definitely got to the rim a lot, but they also took a ton of long twos. They yeah. were third in frequency from shots 16 to 21 feet. And, you know, they shot fairly well on those, but those, unless you're shooting 50%, it's just, you know, not going to be a very good shot. Well, look at who they have on the, t- who they had on the team, right? Chelsea Gray took a ton of long twos. Brittany Sykes took a ton of long twos. Taya Cooper, I think was a two point jump shooter. Raquana Williams. Raquana Williams. Yeah. yeah. Take some for sure. So, Augustus, of course. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot, I think a lot of that has to do with personnel. But yeah. Definitely not something that you'd, an offense that you want to build around. Yeah, and that that might change with this kind of, uh, although maybe not as we'll get to with uh, one player in particular, uh, or a couple one one perimeter player and a couple of their forwards. Defensively, they were you know outstanding in in the paint. They were tied for the second fewest shots allowed right around the basket, as we talked about last week in our kind of Candace Parker discussion. You know, middle of the road and field goal percentage allowed there, but. As we always say, when it when it comes to kind of getting to the rim, frequency allowed is more important than field goal percentage because everyone's going to shoot a pretty good field goal percentage right around the basket. They were one of the four best teams in terms of putting their opponents at the free throw line. I think, you know, that might be a little bit worse this season as we'll kind of get to, you know, Candace Parker never falls. Amanda Zowie falls a little bit more. Uh, and they also just, you know, Zowie B just doesn't have the overall kind of help instincts that I think Parker does. They were number one in forcing turnovers defensively. You know, we can talk a little bit later as to whether we think that will keep up. And then, you know, they were third in defense, but probably still suffered a little bit of tough shooting luck. They allowed the highest three-point shooting percentage in the league. So their opponents shot better from three than any other team in the league allowed. And But conversely, they also allowed 
a much lower free throw percentage, which obviously they have no control over. So I, I think the the three-point shooting probably outweighs the free throw shooting, but... Okay. Where do you want to take it from here? Because Candace Parker really had a heck of a rebound season, like literally and figuratively. Well, I think we should talk about Neka Agumike okay. because it was kind of a strange year. And I you know, watched a lot of Neka Agumike uh, in preparation of this podcast, and I, I couldn't really put my finger on like what was different outside of just kind of the raw numbers like her usage this is the lowest usage since her rookie season she was down from 25 percent in 2019 a season where candace parker was a little bit of a different player than she was in 2020 of course she was all the way down to 20.9 percent that amounted to about four fewer field goal attempts per 36 minutes her defensive rebounding you know individually that was down to career low numbers but like candace parker had such an outstanding rebounding season that you know you don't really look at that and say okay well NECA was a bad stealing league. rebounds right yeah, exactly you know like I don't I don't think that was necessarily something to be concerned about but then you do look at her offensive rebound rate and then career lows in block rate and steal rate as well you know never a huge block rate player but she normally puts up some pretty good steals and, and both of those were career lows uh, she was still insanely efficient I think her true shooting was over 600 uh, as it has been a couple times in her career so, you know, when she was getting involved in the offense, she was doing it pretty well. But was there anything that kind of jumped out to you as to like what was different about Nekogumake this season than in years past? I'm not sure if she was fully healthy. And and that's it. this has happened to her one uh, one season before. I, what was it was it 2018? I forget which one it was before, but it just weren't just wasn't seeing the um the usual Nekogumake dominance without the basketball in her hands. You know, it, it's one thing. Yes, of course she is going to um make it make a lot of money in the paint and at the rim she's one of the best finishers out there but it's the work that she does without the basketball both on defense and on offense you know pinning players down uh deep in the paint like you said creating those those uh defensive opportunities with her steals and basically her her basketball like you being a really versatile defensive player as well it just didn't seem like to me she was she had that explosion either you know either either jumping or moving laterally and because of that she wasn't really just in as many plays as we're used to seeing. I agree with you in terms of the kind of raw athleticism. It didn't quite look the same. Getting off the ground, kind of skying for some of those loose ball opportunities. That's something that Neko Uwenke, you know, for a star player, you know, she's as good as any star player in the league at loose ball opportunities and stuff like that. I thought it was interesting. She had more single digit scoring games in 2020 than she had 20 point scoring games, which going through her uh, career game logs, it's definitely not a common occurrence for Neko Uwenke. And, you know, even not being directly involved in the offense, like didn't even really result in more spot-up opportunities or three-point attempts. She still only took 18 threes on the season. So I definitely think you're onto something in terms of just probably not at full health. And, you know, we saw that just from some games missed throughout the season. You know, the the missed playoff game was something different because that was the migraine, of course, but she was dealing with some lower body injuries over the course of the regular season as well. But like, you know, her transition frequency was pretty similar her percentages from two were were great she got to the line really well you know for kind of compared to her normal numbers it was the highest assisted field goal percentage of her career which I thought was interesting so she kind of wasn't going and getting her own baskets through offensive rebounds or or some of those other opportunities so I think an important thing to kind of how this team is going to look is do you think that she can kind of get back to being like an all WNBA level or fringe all WNBA level player in what will be her age 30 season. I mean, I hope so. And the Sparks should hope so as well. Uh, Without Candace Parker in the fold and without Chelsea Gray in the fold. And this is something I wanted to talk about uh, extensively about the 2021 team. You are lacking 
severely in playmaking compared to the previous season and previous seasons. So that assisted field goal rate you were talking about, Neko Gumake just needs to be looking for her own shot more often. I do think she's going to bounce back on defense. I don't think I don't think she just like fell off a cliff there like for no reason. I mean, she's still one of the strongest and most athletic players in the league. So even though she's 30 years old, I don't think you're going to see just a a, a tremendous drop off there. But uh, I think it's going to depend heavily on on their other players. It's the Sparks have been very gifted and very uh, they've had a huge luxury in having both an elite playmaker in the backcourt and in the frontcourt in Candace Parker. So we'll see what happens how that affects Neka. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's so much easier to play inside out for NECA to get those deep seals, you know, when you have a big who can space the floor and play the high-low game with you. Like, But even if it's, you know, someone like Shanae Gumake who has talked about how shooting will be kind of more, a more of an element in her game this season. I think some comments came out today. Uh, we're recording this on the first day of uh, training camp, so there was some media availability today. Shanae made some comments about integrating a shot into her, her WNBA game. Oh, a so, lot of people say that. Yeah, a lot of people say it. So, I mean, whether those go in or not, you know, we'll see just if the high-low game kind of works the same way uh, or if it's, you know, Zowie B, whoever it might be. But I guess we should move on to a player who exceeded our expectations last year, and that's Brittany Sykes. I think we were skeptical as to whether she would be a positive contributor to this team. And, and obviously she was tremendously positive in, in a breakout season in a lot of ways. I think I was maybe a little bit lower on her than you were. Do you remember kind of like what your thought was on the Sykes trade? I don't remember specifically. That was, that was, gosh, that was a year ago already. Um, I think I, I've always liked Brittany Sykes as an athlete. I think she's had a lot of potential as a, like a transition player, which we definitely saw this, this past season. Um, but she had, uh, you, you're right. Like as far as a half court player, the jump shot comes and goes. I think her shot selection could be better in regards to long twos versus three pointers, but she had a career year in LA. So kudos to her. Yeah. 598 true shooting, which is outstanding for a perimeter player. You know, didn't even start the season as a starter, if you remember. She came off the bench for those few games behind Tierra Ruffin-Pratt. She played 21 total games, started 14 of those 21s. One thing that I think was uh, a positive for her, you know, she not only got out in transition more than she had in recent seasons, the 20% of her possessions were in transition this year. That was the highest since her rookie season. But her finishing in transition was way better than it had been previously. 70% field goal percentage in transition, you know, for a player who was typically in the 40s. And then getting to the free throw line, 25% of her transition possessions, she got to the line as well. So that is a very, very impressive number. And one thing that I think helped her usage as, uh, as it often will, a career low in usage, um, or, or uh, helped her efficiency, I should say, a career low in usage that definitely, you know, not trying to do too much. You know, there were obviously some moments like you're saying with some of the, the pull-up long twos and stuff like that. Uh, and I do think there is probably still some, troubling aspects of her game as a half-court player in some ways. Only 26th percentile as a spot-up player, that's not amazing. 33rd percentile as a catch-and-shoot player, again, not not great. Just a hair under 33% shooting from three overall, a little bit lower than probably what you would like from a starting-level wing. So, you know, she her her raw numbers are are definitely really impressive, but kind of when you dive into it, there's definitely still some things to be concerned about, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I think it it's going to be interesting to see how those numbers carry over to this season because she was so good last year in, in comparison with the rest of her career. So um, I, like, I think if, if Derek Fisher, and I think he will um, continues to encourage his game, his team to, to run as much as possible. I think the transition opportunities will still be there for Brittany Sykes because she's one of those players who, 
for all her faults, she is undoubtedly one of the few wing players in the WNBA who can, who can change a game with her athleticism. You know, I, I, in, in that regard, I'd put her in the same category as like a Diamond to Shields or a, a Kalia Copper type, where if, if they make a play on defense, they, they can finish in transition and, and just get out and just beat everybody on the floor consistently throughout the game. So that's not what I'm concerned about for Brittany Sykes is, you know, I mean, she's a, she's a full-fledged starter now. She got that new contract. How is she going to fit with this new starting lineup that they've got? Yeah, and to your first point that you had mentioned, you know, she was only a 29% shooter from three in her first three seasons. So, you know, even that 33% or just under 33% shooting that she put up last season. Not a huge outlier. Uh, it's not a huge outlier, but it's still, you know, maybe a little bit more than what she's given recently. But her free throw shooting also improved last year. Uh, her, her long two-point shooting, not an element that we love, but that was better as well. So uh, maybe the jump shot has just come around a little bit more than in past seasons, and that can carry over year over year. Uh, she also, I think, has been improving as pick-and-roll scorer. You know, that's obviously helpful for someone with her athleticism to just be able to get that little bit of momentum before you're kind of met with the defense. And I think, again, seeing a little bit of a decrease in how many of her plays are coming from pick and roll is definitely helping her. You know, she's definitely more of like a secondary pick and roll player, you know, second side uh, or a player that you're just going to run pick and rolls for over and over again. But we'll get to it a little bit later, but I'm a little bit more skeptical, I think, not of her necessarily, but of this team being able to kind of continue to be that good in in transition, uh, mostly because of, you know, the guards that they have aren't really great transition players. But, you know, the other thing that I uh, had here was that such a huge proportion of her field goals were assisted by either Candace Parker or Chelsea Gray. And we well, did talk yeah. about the um, absence of playmaking that this team might have. So we'll see how that kind of translates over year to year. Um, but did you have anything about anything more about last year's Brittany Sykes performance, you know, all, all defense and, and stuff like that? All defense. Uh, some said she should have won defensive player of the year, which I think was kind of, uh, I mean, I disagree with it, but no, nothing else to say. I, she's a, she's a, she's a player who I think is, is pretty well established at this point in her career. So we'll see if she makes any big leaps in her game. I, I, I doubt it. Yeah. But even if last year is kind of the player that, that she really is, I think that's a really quality player to oh, have. Sure. And, absolutely. Uh, definitely happy to eat crow about my skepticism of her coming into the season. We talked about Taya Cooper in our rookie point guard recap show, but uh, I think some people that are listening to the show probably didn't listen to that. So maybe we can dive into it a little bit more. You are obviously more familiar with Cooper uh, coming out of college than I was. How did her, her rookie season kind of compare to like your expectations of her? Um, I wasn't surprised by much of it, to be honest. It, you know, obviously when a player plays for three different power five programs in her collegiate career, it's, it's kind of difficult to get a to get a good bearing on what type of player she is, you know, playing with all these different systems. No surprise, her she had her best career season at Baylor, which, you know, is a program that is, has become famous in recent years for taking um, combo guards and putting just playing them at the point and then getting really, really good production out of them. But Cooper, uh, I think she found a really – she made herself a really nice role in this team, uh, just being a, an energy lead guard off the bench. Uh, a point of attack defender, really keeping the energy in, for the second unit and playing some minutes with the first unit as well. Uh, you know, the three-point shot being inconsistent, not really a surprise. The driving and finishing, not really a surprise. Um, the defense, not really a surprise. I, nothing really surprised me about, about Taya Cooper. Um, maybe maybe the one thing that surprised me is how pro-ready she seemed because she was able to make that impact pretty early on in her rookie season. But then, of course, that begs the question, like, what is her ceiling as a WNBA player? 
Yeah, and Fisher definitely seemed comfortable with her, you know, as the season went on as either starting games or closing games. Uh, and they, you know, had some some other options, right? So I think that that definitely says something. And like you mentioned, she did have good finishing numbers inside. 43% of her shots came from, you know, right at the rim. And she finished almost 60% of those. But that definitely was buoyed a little bit by her transition game, which I think was a, a strong element of her game last season, but just 44% finishing around the rim in the half court. And I I made this comparison on our rookie recap show, but in this one regard, like she did kind of remind me a little bit of like rookie year Jackie Young, where when you watched her like around the rim in the half court, she looked like someone who was just used to being able to just like be stronger than the person guarding her and just kind of muscle through to the basket and and put her opponent in the weight room. And I think you know, pro strength was a, a little bit of an adjustment for her, but I, I don't think she was as bad of a finisher as rookie or Jackie Young. It's it's kind of hard to be, but I also don't think that she'll end up being as good of a finisher as this past season, 2020. But I, I don't think there's like all that much like room to improve for her to become like a plus finisher for her size and position. But the other thing is, you know, with regards to her position, who she is as a player, like, do you think that she's going to be able to be a, a lead guard offensively, or is she going to be more of an off guard who is more like a secondary creator and, and may, maybe hitting some open jump shots? That's a good question. I don't think you're going to want to play here at lead guard for extensive minutes, um, which fortunately the Sparks don't need to do that because they have both Erica Wheeler and Christy Tellarber who have plenty of experience doing that. But yeah, I think that's, I think more of a sixth woman role is, is good for Taya Cooper. Like I said, I'm not really sure what her ceiling as a WNBA guard is, but what she is already good at is already is still very valuable to your team. And I think she can defend like pretty much anywhere in the perimeter. She's a little undersized against like threes and, and, and stretch fours, of course, but just her ability, her, like her foot speed and her disruptiveness on defense is, is a very, is a big luxury for this team. Um, but in order to play the two guard, like I got to see, I got to see her hit more open three pointers, plain and simple. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think she, she does maybe kind of lack a little bit. Like, I think she is a good passer. Like she has pretty decent vision. She has pretty good timing on some of her passes, but I, I just don't think she maybe necessarily has like the shake or the handle to be like a full-time quote unquote point guard offensively, where you are kind of like running the offense, but as you know, playing next to somebody who can do maybe more of that, not having all those responsibilities, I think is kind of right in her sweet spot and defensively yeah you love her strength you love the ability for her to kind of move laterally navigate over screens I think her like how she was able to be a positive defensively you know as a rookie point guard I think was really really encouraging to see because you don't see that every day like like a player like a point guard especially coming coming right into the league and automatically being a plus on defense yeah and being a trusted defender um, you know to close games so but yeah I I agree with you I I think at least for the next couple seasons you know probably more of an off guard and you just Hope that shot carries over. You know, she didn't hit a great percentage, but it was kind of, you know, in the mid-30s, the the mid to low 30s, which, you know, I have questions about the jump shot for sure. You know, her free throw shooting hasn't been amazing. She's not a great mid-range shooter. So you wonder if the decent three-point shooting she was able to do was just kind of a small sample size, but we'll see. Let's talk about 2021. So they, in the offseason, signed Erica Wheeler and Amanda Zowie B, both to two-year contracts. They will be Getting back, returning from missing last season, Christy Tolliver, who of course signed in the last offseason, Shnei Gumike and Maria Vadiva will be coming over after the Olympics. They drafted Jasmine Walker and Stephanie Watts in the first round, and then of course Arella Grantis in the second round. Uh, but they lost quite a few players in free agency, as has been well documented. 
Candace Parker, Chelsea Gray, Raquana Williams all left in free agency. And then they also recently released Tierra Ruffin Pratt to uh, free up some money under the salary cap here. So, you know, I think it's maybe worth revisiting why why we were so low on their offseason. And also just kind of worth pointing out that three of their, I think, five projected starters or, or top six players, um, depending on kind of how you see the front court shaking out, did not play in the WNBA last season. And then as John W. Davis from Winsider mentioned today, two of those three Christy Tolliver and Shanae Ogwumike, like haven't even played professional basketball since 2019 because they don't play overseas. Uh, Erica Wheeler, of course, does play overseas. But so I I think there's, you know, some questions in terms of like kind of what we'll be getting from a lot of these players. But should we revisit maybe why we were so low on their offseason when we did our offseason grades? Sure. I mean, I think the first thing is you lost Chelsea Gray and Candace Parker. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, no, those, are, good. those are good players. It's not good. They're, they're good um, players. But I, I, in particular, I think I think you were the one who was uh, particularly critical of the Zowie B signing. I guess like they they chose the path of kind of retooling instead of like blowing it all up, which I guess you know that's that's understandable for any WNBA team, and they have a pretty clear timeline, which I think is that that's a positive for them in terms of like everyone on this team is like uh, on a two year deal, like Neko Gumake, Erica Wheeler, Christy Tolliver, Brittany Sykes, Shanae Gumake, Amanda Zawibi, Sydney Weiss. So like seven of their top eight or nine players are all coming off the books in the same season. So they didn't commit themselves with this kind of older group of players to three or four year deals. So I think that is at least a positive in that regard. They aren't Indiana basically. <laughs> they aren't Indiana and the players that they signed are better than the players that Indiana signed. Well, there you go. Quite frankly. And since we did that that episode, I guess, you know, the Sparks have officially signed, which was not official at the time, NECA and Shanae Ogumike. NECA definitely for less than we expected. They traded the 2021 first round pick for the number seven pick in this class. And I think there's some speculation that maybe they didn't even get the player they wanted with that pick with Dallas taking Chelsea Dungy. You know, Dungy, I, I think, had some speculative rumors that LA was the, uh, LA was targeting her at seven. So yeah, for me, the reason I was just not very high on their offseason is I'm not a big believer in Erica Wheeler or a big believer in Amanda Zowie B. I am more comfortable with Zowie B's role in LA as maybe like a, a third big, a backup center than, you know, being one of the best players on the Liberty roster last year. But I, I know you're a little bit more, more of a believer in Erica Wheeler than I am, right? Maybe a little bit. I mean, for both Wheeler and Zowie B, I think they have very clear strengths and very clear weaknesses. The one thing about Wheeler is... Um, the good, the good news is she is a, she's a steady hand veteran who um, can play both on and off the basketball, who can shoot three-pointers, who can get her own shot. But the downside is most of the time getting, that own sh- getting her own shot comes in the form of a dribble two-point jump shot, which is not great. Um, as you have noted several times already, she is not very good at getting the rim and finishing. So that's not great, especially for how this team wants to play. Um, and then as for Zowie B., I think maybe her reputation as a stretch five has, I, I don't know. It, it seems like every season she has like a couple really, really hot games. And then for the rest of it, like it's, it's pretty mediocre, the results out there, but she is a really, really good rebounder. So, you know, I mean, if, if you're a team that wants to play with pace, you need to be a good defensive rebounding team. So at the very least, WB is going to be a pretty good rebounder down there. And as you said, like as a third or fourth big, it's not that bad. I don't know if she's going to be starting or not. I, I wouldn't, but, you know, I mean, these, in my opinion, are just two middle-of-the-road signings for a team that, as you said, would rather retool than blow it up. Yeah, and for Wheeler, like, I think I believe in the the three-point shot a little bit less than you. She's had one really good three-point season, one 
okay, like slightly below average three-point season and then a, a bunch of bad three-point seasons. The jump shooting off the dribble has been fairly consistent, but the catch and shoot from her good year in 2019, that was well above her career norms. Uh, you mentioned that I like to mention she's not a good finisher, which is true. She is really kind of more of like a, a two-level scorer, right? She's not going to kind of get all the way to the basket. Okay, however, however, one Please. thing I'd like to point out, um, I brought this up when we were talking about Natalie Achanwa on the, on the links a couple of weeks ago. Erica Wheeler is no longer playing in Indiana. So she's playing alongside some pretty decent other players in the Igumake sisters and Christy Tolliver. So maybe she's going to have a better year than you expect. Yeah. I mean, this probably is, no, that's a, that's a great point. This is probably the best roster that she's played on, but you know, she has never really been a, a better than average pick and roll player. And that's like kind of like the best thing that she does. Yeah. I feel um, that. And I also think that she's a little bit of a, an undersized counterpart for Christy Tolliver. I think she is a good defensive player. Like she's uh, early kind of pretty good defending the point of attack. Um, and she does, you know, give you a little bit more off the bounce than they would have had otherwise. So I guess like the, the question with Wheeler and, and the Tolliver fit, like who is the lead creator here? Who is kind of the offensive engine? Is it more Tolliver with, with Wheeler spacing the floor or is, is Eric Wheeler going to be kind of asked to, to run the offense? Uh, what, what do you think is kind of their better option there? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I think, I think Tolliver is the more gifted playmaker between the two players. But at the same time, I think Tolliver is also more valuable off the ball because I mean, she's, she's a very, very good offensive player, but I, I think but with Tolliver, there was something, another thing you like to mention is, is her jump shot versatility. One of the best in the league. So I think I'd probably like start games with Erica Wheeler leading at lead guard and try to get Tolliver, you know, in different situations that coming off screens and pin downs and stuff like that. But it's a very interchangeable backcourt as far as offense is concerned, I think. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's a good way to approach it. You know, you definitely want to get Tolliver going in some of those actions that not a lot of other players you're really able to run with in terms of kind of what she can do as a screener and as a shooter coming off screens and everything like that. Um, and then for Zowie B, you know, I, I'm not a believer, as I've mentioned. And I, I do think, you know, the the stretch five, like I'm a little bit more comfortable with the stretch actually than the five. You know, I, I think where I just am not a fan is like what she does as a defensive player yeah. for a center. You know what I mean? So I, I just don't think her instincts as a help defender are good. Overall, last year, it was kind of a throwaway season, I think, in some ways, you know, 473 true shooting percentage despite taking over half her field goals from three she shot an okay percentage from there 34 percent above her career norms but she shot 37 percent from two-point range and she didn't take a ton of shots around the rim but she was a pretty poor finisher when she got there 66 percent shooting that that's pretty good for league average but not very good for a center uh but then she went nine for 51 from twos outside of five feet so yeah see that that, that part of her game she doesn't need to be taking that shot no, she does not need to be taking that. If it's like maybe on on the elbows, right? That's an okay. I mean, that's a pretty good two point shot actually for Amanda Zawiebi. But anywhere else inside two point range, you you definitely don't want her taking that shot. Especially uh, like look at who she's playing with now. Yeah, the turnaround jumpers, all that stuff. And and this, again, this was a really bad offensive environment that she was in playing with this Liberty team. Terrible. So, uh, I think you know the reality of Zawiebi is somewhere in between last season and the year before, where she was uh, pretty good, but. Uh, last season, third percentile on post-ups. She was 86th in 2019. Zero percentile uh, as a pick-and-roller, uh, and that came as 14th percentile as a pick-and-pop player, where she was 81st in 2019. And then zeroth percentile, again, as a roller, 
to the basket on pick and rolls where she was 63rd in 2019. So again, I think it, it's somewhere in between those two that the reality for her. And I imagine the splits might be pretty stark as to when she's playing with Neka Gumake compared to when she's playing with Shanae Gumake. Cause you know, Neka can just give you a, a little bit more floor spacing, even if she doesn't necessarily shoot a ton of threes, but yeah, I mean, I just don't know like how this front court, like the Neka Amanda Zawi pairing, I think is fine because Neka is just, an amazing player and, and can do whatever you need her to do. You know, if you needed to guard the perimeter, if you needed to guard down low, if you needed her to switch uh, uh, defensively, but I, I don't get how the Amanda Zawi Shanae Gumake pairing is really going to be productive. What, what do you see that looking like in terms of defensively who's guarding fours and fives? I don't know. You know, it, the problem with Shanae on defense is she follows a lot and I, I think she's still the better defender, but Zawi B has that extra size and Zawi B is a poor help defender. Shanae Gumake probably a little better at that. I would probably say Zowie the five and, and Shanae the four. It, it's not going to be great either way. Do, do you disagree with that? I mean, like, like Zowie B is a better shot blocker, but again, like she's the help instincts that are just, I think, like you're saying, just a notch below what Shanae can do. So um, it's not I, an exciting pairing on defense. No matter yeah, which way I, I think how you kind of want to do it is like Shanae is going to guard the more athletic player and Amanda Zowie B is going to guard the less mobile player kind of regardless of like the four or five breakdown, I, I suppose. And then one other thing that I think has like really kind of jumped out to me for Amanda Zowie B in 2019, you know, the, the pretty good season that she had two and a half percent of her possessions ended in a dribble jumper, whereas it was uh, 8% of her possessions last year. And, you know, Sheesh. 8% isn't a huge number, but those are not good possessions. That's not going to no. end well. So I guess the last thing we can kind of talk about with Amanda Zowie B, you know, you mentioned that you wouldn't start her for this team, right? And salary isn't everything. And she had kind of a true free agency where Shanae Ogumike had, LA had exclusive negotiating rights. But it is worth kind of uh, mentioning, I guess, that Amanda Zawi did get a higher contract than Shanae Ogumike. Yeah, and I know I'll, I'll have to eat this one because that is an argument I've used before for, for projecting players starting and players coming off the bench. I'm not sure how Zawi B... Why would you start her over Shanae, though, besides the salary? I guess just maybe feeling like you need one more outside shooter there um, theoretically I, yeah. yeah yeah but i i agree with you that shanae would probably be the option i go to and we just this was a, a while ago now but we saw how poorly shanae performed as as a bench player compared to how productive she can be as a mm -hmm. starter so that that's something else to consider we'll, we'll see kind of what Derek fisher thinks of all that but kind of keeping in talking about the the front court rotation like what what do you think that kind of looks like when maria vadiva returns uh, you know is she going to kind of leap either of those players uh, and play, you know, is she going to be the third big, the fourth big? Um, do you think she fits particularly well or poorly with any of these other players? That's an interesting question because Vidiva is to me kind of a throwback type of front court player. Like she really wants to play with her back to the basket. Although I think she's a pretty decent roller as well. I'm not sure what the stats say about that, but I think she's the more physical of the, uh, like more physical brute force bull in the China shop between her and Zowie B and maybe even Shanae to an extent. So I do know they really, really like her, and I would like to have her on my team as well. But her skills, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how much she complements really any of these other three solid, you know, starting caliber frontcourt players. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, it's, it's really kind of hard to evaluate, like, her overseas play, you know, because she plays for UMMC. Well, yeah, yeah, she plays for a, an all-world team. Yeah, so she's like the, the fifth best big on that team. <laughs> Uh, so it, you know, we haven't seen her really since 2019 and she was really only here for, you know, the second half of the season, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you just, you know, she is a little bit more of a traditional kind of post score, you know, I know she's 
been stretching out her game a little bit more, which I think is going to be helpful for her and kind of her fit with some of these other players. But I'm excited for her to, to come back to the W regardless of kind of what her fit looks like. Me too. She's uh, a with, solid player. So I think, you know, with the rest of the rotation here, I think 10 players, I think, have pretty good holds on their spot for this Sparks team. Erica Wheeler and Christy Tolliver, of course, Cooper and Sydney Weiss as backcourt players. Brittany Sykes, Jasmine Walker, of course, trading up to get that pick. You you imagine she's pretty much a shoe-in for that roster spot. Neck and Shanae Agumake, and then the two players we were just talking about, Amanda Zowie B and Maria Vidiva. That, that's 10 spots right there. Uh, so you have a lot of players really competing for those last two spots, and they don't have quite enough money to carry 12 until Vidiva comes over. So like a, a yeah. 13 total players with that temporary suspension. So they will have to carry 11 until the Olympics, assuming that Maria Vidiva... And I think it's been stated publicly that she will come over after the Olympics. So yes, that's what the Sparks said in their in their okay, training cool. camp. So you have kind of like five players in serious contention for those final two spots. Uh, Stephanie Watts, their second first round pick. Arella Garantes, who was their you know second round pick. Uh, also, Christina Nigue, Nia Coffey, Simone Augustus, and Bria Holmes. What do you think about the kind of competition for those last two spots? So this is actually what I'm most interested in regarding this team, because I think they're, they're, this could go several different ways. Augustus, you mentioned that she was playing the four a lot last season, which was kind of interesting. I don't think that's going to be a need for them this year though, because in, in Jasmine Walker, excuse me, in Jasmine Walker, they, they have a player who can, can play either three or four, but it's probably going to be more of a stretch four in the WNBA. So I think she's going to kind of take over that, that fourth or maybe even fifth big role. So it kind of makes. Hey, can I jump like, in real quick? I think a lot of times you'll see players who kind of profile as a, a three or a four. You know, when they're really early on in their career, they're kind of play the smaller position until they get the strength okay. to kind of play bigger. Do you think that's the case with Walker? Do you think she'll be playing more three or four with this specific roster? I think she'll be playing more four because at the three, there's going to be there's going to be a full house. That is, if they if they keep Weiss and they keep Augustus and. I don't know. Like it depends on how Garantes performs in camp. It's going to be tough to keep Garantes. And that's, it's a shame because she is a very talented player. And I, along with many, many, many other people were surprised that she fell this far in the draft. Um, but here's my weekly complaint about the hard cap, not allowing them to get the uh, salary when they suspend Vidiva, you know, when she's pl- not playing most of the season. So um, I don't think Bria Holmes is going to make the team. Sydney uh, Weiss. I know they really like her. And she does provide the valuable skill of spot up shooting. I don't think she's. I don't think. I don't think she's as much of a lock as, as as you say. Because when when I look at what the Sparks did in the draft, and I love what they did in the draft, by the way, because they drafted three very strong play finishers, not playmakers, but play finishers. So three players, kind of some overlapping skills, to be honest. The three players who can shoot, Walker probably being the best of them. Three players who will who are who exceed in spot up situations. And like at least two in Watson Grantes, maybe Walker not so much, but Watson Grantes who can use their defense on the perimeter to start fast breaks and force turnovers and, and create havoc and, and what have you. So that's why this really intrigues me, this this training camp competition, because there are some overlapping skills there, but I'm not sure they'll be able to keep all three of those players. I mean, Walker probably has it sewn up because as you said, they traded for that pick. Um, so they're going to want to keep her, especially for her positional versatility, but Watts versus Garantes is going to be interesting. Um, Augustus versus Watts and Garantes is going to be interesting because, like, I don't know what Simone we, – we said this last year we got in big trouble, but I'll, I'll double down here. I don't know what Simone Augustus does for this team in 2021. Do you? 
I would lean towards her not making this roster, but okay. she she was better than I thought she would be for sure. Yeah. Uh, she was, you know, more efficient than I, I thought she would be and, and everything like that. But yeah, I, I would lean towards younger with maybe Garantis and Watts. I don't really think Bria Holmes or Nia Coffey are particularly effective WNBA players. Christina Nigue, you know, probably there's no room for her on this team. Right yeah, Nigue, you know, you, you've got so much front court depth now. So I guess it is kind of between those players and, you know, you seem to not think Sydney Weiss is uh, a lock for this. I mean, yeah, a lock is probably going too far, but I think she definitely has the upper hand, you know, as someone who was pretty insanely efficient last year, 661 true shooting. Uh, the assist to turnover ratio, that definitely plummeted. You know, she was a pretty good passer and playmaker in 2019, and that was not the case last year. I think she was maybe asked to create on second units a little bit more than was really kind of in her wheelhouse. And, you know, hopefully if she does make this team with Christy Tolliver and, and Erica Wheeler, uh, that will be reduced. But I, I think, you know, not having a a ton of kind of knowledge on the the rookies, those those two players, Garantis and Watts, is kind of how I would lean. But, you know, this obviously is a team that wants to compete. So maybe they do end up with the veteran Augustus over one of those two players. One question I had for you and just maybe anybody who's listening. So like I said before, and I wanted to circle back around to this um, before we finish here, they lost two their two best playmakers. That's a really hard thing to overcome as far as, you know, offensive schemes are concerned. Where does the passing and shot creation come from now? And will Derek Fisher, you know, a lot was made um, in Fisher's first season as a rookie head coach in comparison to Brian Adler, their previous coach, of being a very hands-off coach when it comes to offense. Do you think he's going to have to kind of take a more hands-on approach now that he has a team that, you know, doesn't really have that many natural playmakers? Yeah, I think the system should be a little bit more intricate. I mean, you have Christy Tolliver, which I think that's one reason in, in itself to kind of play a more like motion style, more get ball movement, get body movement, stuff like that. You know, she's a great player and, and one of my favorite players in the league, quite frankly, but not an every possession pick and roll player. You know right. what I mean? So you you want a little bit more of a, I mean, I don't even want to say structure, but just a more kind of institutional screening and, and cutting and body movement and stuff like that. So where the playmaking comes from, I don't know, to be honest. Like, I think team passing is a little bit of a weakness for this team. I think Erica Wheeler is, you know, maybe slightly above average as a passer for a point guard. You know, Tolliver can make plays for others. Um, I think she's probably better suited, frankly, as a play finisher than a, a play creator, you know, even if she can do it a little bit. You know, they don't have amazing passing bigs. Their forwards aren't players who are going to really create a ton for others. So that's definitely a concern of mine, I would say. Okay. As far as strengths and weaknesses, what do you got? Well, they were the, I mentioned they were number one in forcing turnovers last year. I expect them to still be pretty good. Maybe not number one, but you know, NECA is a great steals player. Uh, Shanae has always been a pretty good defensive playmaker. They have Brittany Sykes, you know, the rest of the perimeter players, I, I don't imagine are going to generate a ton of turnovers, but they are, you know, right around kind of average for what you would, would get from those positions. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to space the floor or not. So I think in some lineups, they're going to have kind of killer floor spacing. And then in others, it's kind of going to be a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. Uh, defensive rebounding, I think is going to be, they're going to be pretty good. You know, they replaced the number two defensive rebounder in the league last year with the number one defensive rebounder in the league. So um, I, I don't see that being too much of a, a struggle for them. I think they'll be pretty good at that. I think this is a deeper team than it was last year. Uh, for sure. You know, their, their best players aren't as good, for sure, but they have more good players and less ineffective players. So that's 
you know, something to, to note for sure. Um, anything else in terms of strengths? I, I feel bad that we don't really have any, but you know, I think they're just kind of average in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I think the starting lineup is well balanced. You're not going to be relying on any one or two players to really carry your offense, which ugh, I know that's, that's sometimes, a, that's sometimes actually a weakness, but I think outside shooting is going to be a strength for this team. You know, maybe, maybe not to Cooper so much, but in, in Weiss, Tolliver, Wheeler, depending, um, if they keep both Watts and Garantes, like you said, they are going to be have uh, they are going to have some lineups that can space the floor really well. And then if you play Jazz and Walker at the four, then you've got another stretch player out there. Um, so maybe like outside shooting, I put a question mark. And then just wing athleticism, because once again, if if you if you run a lineup of like Cooper, Watts, Sykes, and or Garantes, you have three pretty good um, pretty good athletes out there on the perimeter. We'll see if they're able to turn that into defensive plays, though. You know, that's, that, that's always a question. But I, I think that would be actually Stephanie Watts' like number one strengthening in the WNBA is, is, is like shooting the gaps on defense and, and turning defense into offense. So we'll see how much she plays, though. So Interesting. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. You mentioned kind of the, I guess, like balance of the starting five. This isn't the type of question we typically ask, but like who do you think is going to like lead this team in scoring? Who's going to be their, their number one like points per game player? Um, I think it's got to be either Neko Gumake or Christy Tolliver. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Erica Wheeler, I guess, is really the only other. I'll, I think if Wheeler leads a team in scoring, then, then something has gone wrong. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that those are the strengths I've got. It, this, this team just strikes me as, and this is why I wasn't really that excited to talk about them. They just seem like a good but not great team. You know, yeah. maybe fifth or sixth seed. I think that sounds about right for them. They still have a lot of talent, but considering how many teams are coming in, you know, projected to, you know, people are arguing like, okay, is it going to be Minnesota, uh, Seattle, Chicago, uh, Vegas, Washington, depending on health. Like I, I think LA is just firmly on the outside looking in there. So some weaknesses for this team that I had, I think transition play from their guards specifically, like Tolliver and Wheeler are not guards that are huge drivers of transition. We mentioned sure. that they were, number one in transition frequency last season. I think that could decrease considerably. Uh, Candace Parker, Chelsea Gray, Raquana Williams, those are what were their three kind of main transition players last year. And, and all, obviously all those players are gone. So I just don't know if, you know, Brittany Sykes and Neka Gumake are going to be able to, to do it by themselves pretty much. I think, you know, getting deep dribble penetration uh, from their starting backcourt, that might be a little bit of a weakness. I, I don't know how much pressure they're going to be able to put on the rim from their guards. You know, I mentioned floor spacing above. I think floor spacing in certain lineups, you know, the Sykes, Cooper, Shanae lineups or something like that. That's going to be bad. Yeah, it might, it might get pretty tough. I think this team's still going to be a, a good defense, I guess. Like top three defenses in both seasons under Derek Fisher. Like there's, there's different personnel, but still I think mostly good competitive defenders. Defending the post, I think they're – I don't know if it'll be a weakness necessarily, necessarily, but they were number one in defending post-up scoring last year. I think that will drop, uh, if nothing else. You know, they lost Candace Parker, who was in the 92nd percentile. She allowed 19 points on 39 post-ups last season. So that was... Yeah, and also, uh, in conjunction with that, look at who everyone else is getting back. Yeah, that's a great point. You have John Qual back, you have Cam Beige coming back, you have Fowles and Griner coming back. So so any other weaknesses, though? No. And in fact, I think your your your, your weakness of... Um, was it was it dribble penetration or... No, transition, transition. Uh Again, I think like players like Watson and Grantes will be able to make a lot of hay in transition. So I'm, I'm just saying watch out for the rookies on this team. I, I really like what they kind of like the draft strategy and, and how they fit into how this team wants to play. Assuming they want to still play that way. 
I think they will. I think they still want to, they're, they're still going to want to apply a lot of ball pressure and, and get out and run. But like I said, when your two stars are gone, you know, you probably got to do a little bit of soul searching as far as schematics. Right. And you had, you'd mentioned kind of what your expected outcome is for this team. I think I'm kind of yeah. in the same boat. I have them in kind of like tier four, you know, one of maybe four teams fighting for like the last two playoff spots. I think they could maybe get up to as high as like six. If you know, one of Seattle or Phoenix who I would have in a tier above LA, maybe if one of them disappoints or they have some like injuries or, or it just doesn't click. Um, but I can also see this team missing the playoffs. If, you know, two of the younger really? teams that I have in this same tier with LA, you know, Dallas and, and New York, if those teams are just ready to compete right now, like I could see them being the ninth or 10th team, you know, probably more likely ninth, but uh, anywhere between like seven and, and nine or 10, I think is a realistic range for this team. Okay. I think I'm a wee bit higher on them than you, but it's, it's good to be splitting hairs at this point. I think we're both, I think we're both uh, pretty set on them being like a, a lower half of the, the playoff seating. Right. Do you think they're like in the same neighborhood as like Phoenix and Seattle? Um, Seattle, no Phoenix. Yes. I, I mean, we can talk like Phoenix. I haven't seen much to make me a believer out of Phoenix in, in, in many years. So we'll see. We'll see. We will. Uh, anything else? No, I think I'm all set. Um, anything training camp starts today, as you said. So yippee. Very exciting. Um, yeah, we're almost there. Almost there. Almost at the halfway, almost, almost at the finish point rather. We have how many weeks until the season starts? One, two, like two and a half. Yeah, let's, uh, it'll be just about two when this episode drops. Awesome. Okay, get excited, people. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can uh, subscribe, rate, review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager. We're on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at E for Eric's personal account, at Trinkwald for mine. Thank you all so much for listening. Look forward to uh, talking about the Seattle storm next episode. Take care, everybody.